When you dive into a book, you find whole worlds of adventure, true crime, mystery, humor, and romance waiting for you. Books can inspire, they educate, they amuse and entertain, and the same is certainly true of books about cooking. Each recipe tells a story about the author, about the place, the time, and the culture that the food comes from, and sometimes we even get to learn a little something about ourselves. This season, we really wanted to share some interesting and iconic cookbooks with each other and with our As We Eat family. While I'm sure that we've touched on some of your favorites, Mastering the Art of French Cooking and The Joy of Cooking are certainly in the top five best-selling cookbooks around the world, we hope that perhaps you found some new favorites, maybe are inspired to try some more. Today, we are tying a bow on our season with a reflection on our favorite cookbooks. Welcome to As We Eat, where we explore the intersection of food, family, history, and culture. We think there's something magical that happens when people get together and share food. Conversations seem to happen a little more naturally. We talk about our commonalities and our differences. We share stories, memories, and recipes. And we'll use food to take a journey that explores our human experience. Share some fun facts and some that aren't so fun. Talk about food history and how food connects and defines us. So if you've ever eaten, prepared, or shared food, then this podcast probably has something for you. Hi, Lee. Hey, Kim. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. It's the holiday season, and I love that little Christmas that we get in the air. I love the festivities, the warmth, and joy of the holiday, and of course, I love holiday food. How are you doing? Doing good. We are lacking snow here, so it is not feeling very holiday-ish to us. And boy, I'll tell you what, everybody in town complains about it. But yeah, the holiday season is definitely upon us. We have lots of birthdays that we celebrate during this season, so we've got all of that going on too, which I know you know. I sure do. (laughs) I love our winter holiday spread. It it actually, it, it makes it extra festive. It does. And, you know, you get some extra little treats and nibbles. The favorite dishes come out and the special treats. And I'm making a special treat later for my special someone who's celebrating a birthday today. But, yeah, it's good. I love this time of year. It's And it, it's been a good year. It's been a really great long year, but one full of personal, professional, just wonderful things actually happening for, I think, for me and for you and for us this year. Yeah, for sure. And what an inspiring season of conversations that we've had. I did have some doubts when we first talked about doing an entire season on cookbooks because I was thinking, hey, you know, I know what I like to eat and I certainly know my favorite recipes by heart. And frankly, in an age where internet recipes are literally everywhere. Why are we even really thinking about talking about cookbooks at all? We're in a sea change of how we're approaching cooking. But bear with me, I was totally into the idea, though, of exploring the impacts that certain cookbooks and the chefs and the authors who wrote them make on how we approach food. And then I was really, frankly, just surprised by how many titles we talked about this season that were new to me. And yet, as we conclude the year, they feel like familiar and good friends. So shall we talk about some of our favorite books from this season? We shall. So first up for me, biggest influence on changing my viewpoint about what I eat and when. 
for me goes to Chef Edna Lewis and the Taste of Country Cooking. We talked about this in episodes 55, Refinding Home, and episode 56, Bif à la mode. Chef Edna really inspired me to be thinking about the seasonality of food and got me curious about the foods and the foodways that surround me in my Western Washington home. I didn't get out to as many farmer's markets as I wanted to this year, but I did remain inspired to think about and to really challenge myself to eat fruits and vegetables that were in their active growing season. And that's really no mean feat when major grocery chains offer produce that's supposed to be in peak summer all year round. Right. It meant, too, that I had to find out when certain produce was in season. And that was really kind of a fun challenge as well, because I went to some state agriculture websites. I found grow lists. I really discovered that some of the things that I love the best are maybe best meant for fall or for a very short time in the spring or actually much longer year round than I thought it could be. So that was a really good thing. I also discovered that, you know, even though we grew up miles and worlds and years apart, I loved the sincerity and joy that I found in Edna's stories of her early years in Freetown with her family as the basis of what goes into the taste of country cooking. And through her book, I feel like I've come to better understand a little bit of what soul food is really meant to be. And what I mean by that is the dishes that end up speaking to you of home and the truest version of who you are. I really am grateful for having gotten to know Chef Edna Lewis a little bit more this year. I found a lot of inspiration, especially in finding commonality in her summer tomatoes recipe about how she brings them in fresh from the garden and cuts them and eats them at the table. And that's a familiar memory to me from my family's time living in North Carolina. I really appreciated getting to know this book better this year. For me... The cookbook that surprised me the most goes to Eat Like a Hero, the official D&D cookbook. And that was episode 71, Eat Like a Hero, game-based cookbooks feed more than appetites. And episode 72, which is Dining Like a Hero. When you suggested it, I really wasn't too sure what to expect. But when the cookbook arrived and I unwrapped it, I was so impressed And I know that I mentioned this in episode 71, but the photography does exactly what any photography is meant to do. It makes you react. And I felt like I was transported to a different world. Now, the photography is highly propped, but really elegantly so. I tend more towards simplicity in my photography, but the imagery in this cookbook is perfect for this cookbook. And the other thing that really struck me was how I immediately fell into this, I must choose a world in which I belong, which is kind of hard because there were so many attributes and characteristics in so many of them that I could identify with. But in the end, I think I'm probably a halfling. <laughs> now, the theme that I really took away from this cookbook was community building. And we really talked extensively about this in both of the episodes. And I think that the recipe that I chose really exemplified this. And the recipe was the smoked sausages and kraut with dwarven mustard. Mm. And the reason that it exemplified this theme was that 
My husband actually got involved with this as well. He was a huge part of this process. He helped to create this world in which the dish would have been enjoyed. We had a fire. I had a table that he (laughs) built so that it was all to make sure that it fell within this dwarven world, which Mm. it was such a fun recipe to make. And it was such a fun process because he was so involved with it. It was a delicious dish as well. Not only are the images beautiful, the dishes are really well written and well done. Mm. Yeah, it was fun for me to experience you experiencing that because you're not a gamer in real life. And and so it was fun to, to actually get to that bit about the community building. That book does it especially well. Yeah. Okay. For me, funniest read and also super helpful goes to How to Cook and Eat in Chinese by Bu Wei Yang Chao. When I think about this book, I cannot help but imagine Bu Wei and her family around their dinner table, each talking about their day, their fields of interest, and probably all simultaneously. Mm. Yeah, like I, yeah. I can just imagine it being this major chatter fest. And this was a book I had not heard of before this season, but I found it to be so fun to read, especially the introduction and then all the parentheticals <laughs> and footnotes. It was really like reading a conversation between people who know each other very well and who are really comfortable and happy around each other, too. In episode 61, Dishing Up Culture, and episode 62, Unveiling Red and White Cooking, we explored the origins of this book, and I got the opportunity to try cooking some Chinese recipes myself. What is so valuable to me about this experience is that while Chinese food has been a favorite of mine since childhood, it was certainly not a part of my family's food way, and so it was only something that I could experience when we went out to eat. And when you're younger and money's a little tighter, it didn't happen all that often. It's not where things are today where you can get Uber Eats delivered directly to your house. You'd have right. to dress up and go out. And often these restaurants were the other side of town. And so it was always this sort of monumental event. And that made eating Chinese food a monumental event. I feel that when that happens, certain food experiences can stay othered. They're exotic, they're strange, and they're not Mm. familiar. And even though you might like the taste of the food, because we like what we like, you still have that sense of being a step removed. So there's a perpetual barrier between the food that is cooked and the food that is eaten. After all, how am I to know that the dish is accurate to its origin or a fusion that was necessary due to immigration, or even just a fantasy concocted by the cook and called something familiar. And while I know that how to cook and eat in Chinese isn't the end of the story on Chinese food, I found it a really delicious place to start. I loved learning about red and white cooking in particular, and having some food experiences, I made shrimp both in a red and white style. And I remember telling you, Lei, that it was like, I was, I felt like I was actually tasting the ocean. I felt like I was experiencing shrimp in a whole new way for the first time. Even though I've had shrimp millions of times in my life, it was a really delicious exploration. That one was a lot of fun. I love that cookbook too. I love that she introduced you to how to eat these recipes. Like you said, that being exotic, that difference, how am I supposed to eat this? When do I eat it? So I I loved that about that cookbook. And you are right. The conversations between them, you just, it needs, and I said this in the episode, it needs to be a movie. Somebody needs to make this into a movie. It really, it would be, it would be fantastically amusing. 
Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Oh. The cookbook that provided the greatest amount of historical perspective goes to the Settlement Cookbook, Episodes 69, Cooking Up Integration, and Episode 70, Creating American Culture in a Casserole. In researching this cookbook, there was so much that I learned about immigration, the different waves of immigration into the U.S., and how they impacted immigrants that had established themselves in the U.S., and their relationships to each other was very fascinating. Now, the cookbook is called The Settlement Cookbook Today. The original title, though, was A Way to a Man's Heart. And I know that we modern ladies tend to roll our eyes at titles like that. But one of the other things that we learned was that you have to take that modern lens out of the equation when you're looking at books like this. You need to look at them from the viewpoint of the women that were living during this time. Whether you agree with what was happening socially or not, it is what was happening. And you need to look at it from that perspective. And unlike some of the other cookbooks that we featured, this one became a living document. It was revised 40 times, with all of those editions being overseen by Mrs. Simon Kander, or like we lovingly call her, Lizzie Black. And it was because of Lizzie's dedication to helping not only new immigrants who landed on these shores, but also to ensure that these new immigrants didn't negatively impact the stations that had been established by previous immigrants. It was because of this that she updated the cookbook, and it was based upon what was happening socially and politically. So this cookbook really tells a story of time and place over a period of time for the Jewish cultures in the U.S. And as I mentioned before, this was a cookbook that was handed down through generations. Yeah. And sort of a fun aside, actually, on this one, for anyone who might be watching The Gilded Age on Max, this is a show by the same folks that did Downton Abbey. So it's the American version of the story. One of the characters is highly involved in going to teach literacy classes at a settlement house. Mm. If we hadn't talked about this book I wouldn't have had that additional context. So I'm I'm watching the show, frankly, and <laughs> they're not really talking about the food. They're not talking about cooking classes, but they are talking about the types of classes that were offered at settlement houses, classes on literacy, how to read, how to get along, get involved and be part of this new American life that these folks were having. And so it, was, it gives me a little additional <laughs> historical context into what it would be like to be living in New York mm -hmm. or Boston around that time, that turn of the century, the time frame. So I was actually appreciative of that when I was, was watching She's like, she's going to work at a settlement house. Yeah, that's what she's doing. I they love that. the show, but that's what it is. That is right. literally what it is. Yeah. Okay. The most impressive feat of research, absolutely, hands down, goes to Clementine Paddleford and her efforts to find and define how America Eats, as we discussed in episode 65, Voices of the People Who Satisfy Our Hometown Appetites, and episode 66, United Tastes of America. You know, it's baffling to me how overlooked is Clementine's monumental effort to meet mm -hmm. with real people 
We're talking from rural fishermen to farmers to socialites to politicians to uncover the foods and the recipes of the places in the states that, as united, we all call home. And although this isn't the way to a man's heart, the Selma cookbook that we just talked about, there was a dish for chicken paprikas from Clementine's church supper visit in a Hungarian immigrant community in Elyria, Ohio, that utterly charmed my husband. I believe that he has single-handedly awarded me a Michelin star for that dish. And it, it was really fun to try to get into the, the headspace and the frame of what it would be like to be these women cooking a church supper in Ohio, who were both trying to maintain a little bit of what it was like to be at home in Hungary, who were teaching their daughters some of those traditions so that they wouldn't completely get lost, but also who were rapidly embracing the community in which they lived in the United States as well. And this was just one city in one state out of 50 that I was exploring the food of. It was also really fun because I utterly failed at one of my dishes, actually two of them. I tried three <laughs> and the chicken paprikas was amazing, which was great. But I also tried nokedli, which came out like rock hard and the stuffed cabbage rolls were a nightmare so reminding you that technique is just as important <laughs> as the recipe itself <laughs> but really i deeply appreciated the scope and scale of what clementine did with this effort she gave voice to home cooks often an overlooked component of what it takes to create a food culture and she brought into focus many of the commonalities that we share with each other by simply pointing out that we all eat and that we all want to create a nice home-cooked meal and that we want to share our food and we want to talk to each other while we do it. So she pointed out to us everything that we have in common, which I think is really important at a time when it feels like all we focus on is what we do not agree with. So thank you, Clemmy. Thanks, Clementine. Mm -hmm. Appreciate all your efforts on our behalf to help give identity to what American food is and to show us how we eat. Thank you. Yes. And you are so right. What an impressive feat it was. I mean, she flew to every state. Yeah. And every and, state. And, and literally flew herself. She was a pilot. And so she did that. She made it to all these places herself. Yeah. I'm sure she got a ride now and then, but yes, it was her locomotion. Yes. She was behind it all. I love that. It was her locomotion. Yeah. So the cookbook that provided the newest perspective goes to The Sioux Chef's Indigenous Kitchen, Episode 67, Much Ado About Sioux, Rediscovering America's Indigenous Food with Chef Sean Sherman, and Episode 68, Sewing Traditions with Three Sisters Mash. Now, this one really dispelled all of those tropes about indigenous foods and cooking that we learned in grade school. It's instructional, it's visually appealing, and it's probably one of the first cookbooks that presents indigenous foods in a way that is current, but still true to the culture, if that makes any sense. Sure does. The recipes embrace ingredients that define indigenous people. There's no fry bread, no wheat flour, no dairy, but they are combined in ways that feel familiar to us. And many of the ingredients may not be readily available, but they're not so far out of reach that you can't cook from the book. And again, the imagery and the food styling really support a more modern way of dining, which really supports that feeling of familiarity. It invites you in to explore more. 
the recipe that I chose from this cookbook was also fun. Again, because my husband got involved with the preparation of the recipe, we actually went up the North Fork to gather cedar that I used to make the braised beans. And the beans that I used were heritage beans from the Thana Atham tribe in Arizona, which has been brought back into cultivation almost single-handedly by Ramona Button and her family. The whole experience just felt super intended and honorific to the work that both the Buttons and Chef Sean are doing. The thing, too, that I really learned from reading and exploring this cookbook as well was how many foodstuffs and foodways were really imported by European settlers. Certainly my diet is very European-centric. I eat a lot of beef. I eat a lot of flour. I eat a lot of sugar. Mm -hmm. I really didn't think much about the fact that was a very European tradition, a very European style of eating until I Mm -hmm. really started reading what Chef Sean was writing about indigenous foods. What I found fun about this was the challenge to rethink, especially when I was putting together our Thanksgiving dinner menu, how much of this is an imported tradition and how much Mm -hmm. of what we are putting on our table reflects the country that we live in. It goes back to Chef Edna Lewis and that idea of seasonality and locality. So Mm -hmm. in a way, I agree. I felt like that came full circle enough in an unexpected way. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, we'd be completely remiss if we didn't thank Kate McDermott, author of The Art of the Pie, for bringing us her insights both into pie making and to cookbook writing in episode 75, Pie. Ms. McDermott, we appreciate you so much for being a guest this season. I can't wait to take one of her workshops in 2024. Both her cookbook and her workshops are highly recommended by us. And if you need more gift-giving ideas for the beloved foodie in your life, or even just a little extra something for yourself, don't forget to check out our gift-giving guide in the As We Eat journal. We are cooking up some really great stories for you in 2024. If you are a fan of true crime, or even if you aren't, You won't want to miss the juicy and thrilling tales that we will be sharing with you. You're going to love this season. For more information about today's episode, check out our website at asweeat.com. Follow us on Instagram at asweeat and join our Table Talks about food and recipes community on Facebook. We want to know which books inspired you most this year and, hey, which ones did we miss? And so you don't miss an episode, subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you could spare just a couple of minutes and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Spotify, we would be ever so appreciative. This really helps us to build the As We Eat family, and we love to have more people at our table. We also publish the As We Eat journal on Substack. This is a monthly collection of stories and favorite features and recipes touching on a theme. December's journal was focused on the theme of giving. We're not just talking about presents. And come January, we'll be talking about reflection. Subscribe now and maybe give a few gift subscriptions so no one misses a single tasty bite at asweeat.substack.com. You've been listening to the As We Eat podcast, part of our curiosity-driven project, serving up how food connects, defines, and inspires by blending a bit of research with a dash of humor and a whole lot of passion much passion ba ba da da ba 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 da ba ba da ba 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 ba